Chapter 10 is the beginning of the end of the book of Daniel. These three final chapters, chapters 10 to 12, are actually a unit because they cover all of the details of this final vision that God gives to Daniel. It's interesting that we're going to see in chapter 10 today that this vision takes an extreme physical toll on Daniel's body. And he actually is taught by God about spiritual warfare, of what is actually happening in the unseen world, that there is this war that is waging between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. So today we're going to learn about spiritual warfare. You see, Daniel's prayer, it costs him so much. All of his human strength. And yet we see throughout the text that God is able to strengthen Daniel three different times. Through our text today, we will learn that God is sufficiently powerful enough to simultaneously defeat evil forces and strengthen his people. God is not only the one who goes out and fights our battles. He is also the one who strengthens us in the midst of our battles. Yet, just like Daniel, we have to be willing to wrestle through prayer. Knowing that our prayers actually have the power of impacting good and evil. This is what we learn in our text this morning. We begin looking at verses 1 to 3, praying through conflict. Daniel begins in verse 1 just like he does every other verse, every other chapter, I mean. He timestamps this final section of his book again with another historical marker. He says in verse 1, in the it's the third year of King Cyrus of Persia. This is roughly two years after Daniel chapter 9, the previous chapter. Here's what we need just to clarify between Daniel chapter 9 and Daniel chapter 10. Many believe that King Darius and King Cyrus are actually the same person. If you read in Daniel chapter 9 verse 1, it says, In the first year of Darius, by descendant Amid. And now in verse 10, verse 1, we see that it says, it's the third year of King Cyrus of Persia. Well, how do we make sense of this and how do we explain this? Well, we make sense of this because this is one person who is recognized as having two different names and descriptions. As this king was able to bring together the Mede and the Persian empires into one empire under his rule. The name Darius is likely his dynastic name. The royal name that would have been given to him that was a reflection of the way of how he ruled. How many of you guys have heard of King Augustus in the Roman Empire? Now you correct me if I'm wrong um, here, Eric, but his name was Octavius, right? We have... A young man here who is passionate about uh, Greek history. But when he became king, he gave himself this name. And if you're wondering where we get the name of the month August, guess where it comes from? Emperor Augustus, who declared a whole month for himself to be worshipped. And in the same way that he changed his name, this is kind of what we have going on here with Darius and, and, and uh, Cyrus as being the same person. Cyrus would have been Darius's common name, the name that he would have uh, grown up with. And if you were to look at what the word Darius means, it means he possesses rich and kingly, which is to describe the way and how he was able to bring together the Medes and the Persians into one empire under his rule. 
which made him extremely rich. Madhu, welcome back from vacation, brother. So good to see you. So Daniel uses these names interchangeably. In chapter 9, as Darius, and now in chapter 10, as Cyrus. Also because of the decree that we see going out in the book of Ezra, which we'll come to in a little while. And so the, ver- the rest of verse 1 is an introduction to the rest of this section, chapters 10 to 12. Daniel refers to himself according to his Babylonian name, Belteshazzar. He describes his vision as a word that he receives from God. And he describes this word in two ways. First, he says that the word that he receives, he says that it is true. Daniel has no doubt that it is God who has given him this vision. Second, he says that this vision is about a great conflict. There is a war that is happening. And this war is happening in two ways. This war is actually, this conflict is actually happening within Daniel's own body. And this is the experience that we're actually going to read in Daniel chapter 10. How he physically is affected by this vision that he has. He suffers greatly. This emotional war. But this vision also includes extreme suffering for his people, the people of Judah. It is a suffering that will not come in the present, but a suffering that will come in the future. It is literal, physical war that will come upon the people of God. We'll actually see in verse 4 that Daniel will give us the specific date of when he receives this final vision. And so when we get to verse 2, Daniel begins to explain the events that led up to the vision that God gives him. He says that he is mourning and that he is praying. The question is, what has led or prompted him to be praying and to be in a state of grief? It's very likely that Daniel has received a report from Jerusalem because the people of Judah have been allowed to return to go back to Jerusalem to begin rebuilding the temple. Daniel would have been ecstatic, overjoyed over the fact of his people being able to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. Why? Because this same king, King Cyrus, he issued a decree that would have allowed the people to go back. God uses a pagan king who acknowledges the God of heaven and know that it was the God of heaven who has blessed him and his kingdom. God touches the heart. He stirs the heart of Cyrus to allow the the people of Judah to return and to begin this building project of the temple. Open up your Bibles to Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. This is how the book of Ezra begins and, and where we see this decree that King Cyrus gives to the people that are under his rule. Remember, the people of Judah are still in exile. They're far from their land. The Persian Empire has taken over the Babylonian Empire. God stirs King Cyrus's heart and look at what he says. Ezra chapter 1. Verses 1 to 4. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all of his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, the king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Verse 3. Whoever is among you of his people, may his God be with him. And let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor 
in whatever place he sojourns, be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods with, and with beasts, besides freewill offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. All the Jews now are allowed to go back to their homeland. And if you remember, this was Daniel's prayer last week. This day and time that would come when they would be allowed to no longer be slaves, but to go back home and to begin rebuilding their lives. And now this king, stirred by God, is allowing them to go back. But they're not to go back empty-handed, are they? No, no. The people who have power over them are to give them silver, gold, animals to take back with them to their land so that they could use these precious materials to begin rebuilding the temple. My love, you want to help that lovely family that just came in? Welcome. We're so great. Don't be sorry. Be welcomed here. Yet, people have been in exile so long, they're so comfortable that very few Jews choose to go back. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? For those of you who have immigrated. You know, when you've immigrated, it's, 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 you know when you miss your country the most? It's once you leave, right? But as time goes by, what happens? You begin to conform to the new place, new country, new way of living, right? And, and the more time that passes... Right? What ends up happening? You become more comfortable with your surroundings. You begin to, to, to build more roots. Right? Your children begin to have a, more of a Canadian culture than the culture from where you came from. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? See, my parents were first-generation immigrants who came to this country on their own. And then they met here, got married. I was born here along with my brother John, that really good-looking guy in the back. If you're wondering which of the two of us is better looking, it's him. Okay? And we grew up in Canada. And so when we heard our parents talking about Portugal, it was all great. But we were watching hockey, listening to, listening to English music, rap music, engulfed in our culture here. And Portugal seemed like it was so foreign to us. Right? Until the first time, I was 13 John was eight years old. It was the first time we went back home to Portugal. And our parents were like, this is where we're from. We're like, great. So when do we go back to Canada? <laughs> now, we love the beaches there, absolutely. The people of Judah had not only gotten used to being exiles, to be living as slaves, they had also gotten used to the environment that they were in. And because of that, very few returned. But those who did return... They began to rebuild the temple. If you remember in Daniel chapter 1, the city of Jerusalem along with the temple is completely besieged, burned to the ground. There's nothing left. So now these Jews will go back and they will begin to rebuild. Within the first two years of them going back, the enemy nations now that surrounded Jerusalem begin to oppose the Jews that come. And the few Jews that have come back to begin rebuilding, they are so discouraged because of the opposition that they begin to face. And so the building of the temple is halted. And Daniel gets news of this. And it's because of this news that Daniel is mourning and grieving and bringing his prayers before God. This is why Daniel chooses to fast for three weeks. It's a partial fast. And it's likely at the beginning of when the work stops that he gets news. Do you know how long the work, the construction of the temple stops for? Over 15 years. That's a long time. But as Daniel gets this news, he is driven to prayer. How many of you guys know that Daniel is a man of prayer? Right? 
Remember that we've learned throughout, his, throughout the book of Daniel, he, pays, he prays three times a day with his window open facing Jerusalem. Remember? Last chapter 10, we saw that he prayed to God. He was a man who was dedicated to prayer and who knew God. And now we see again that Daniel is driven to pray. What does he choose to do? In verse 3, well, he chooses to abstain from delicacies. He will eat no meat and he will drink no wine. He will also not anoint his body with any oils. This is a partial fast. Daniel chooses to deny himself from eating the luxurious foods of Babylon to demonstrate that he would prefer to depend on God than on food itself. The Babylonian region, the climate of that area was very, very dry. And so people would routinely rub oils and lotions on their skin to moisturize because their skin was so dry because of the climate. And Daniel's like, listen, I'm not even going to do that. I'm going to leave my Aveeno cream at home and not use any. Why? Because Daniel wants to show solidarity with the people of God. He intentionally places himself in an uncomfortable position to show his grief. This isn't the first time. If you remember last week, Daniel covered himself in ash. Remember, he put on sackcloth, animal skin that would irritate his skin to show God of how uncomfortable he was because of the position that the people of Judah were in. Let me ask you this. As you look at the people around you, your loved ones and friends, do you grieve over their suffering? Do you grieve that you have family members who do not know Jesus Christ yet? Does your heart break when you see people that you know, instead of running to God, running away from God? Because if you do, I encourage you to do what Daniel did. Run to God and pray for them. This is the conflict where Daniel finds himself. The second point is the sufficiency of prayer. Verses 4 to 9. Now Daniel gives us the setting of the vision in verse 4. He's going to explain when and how God gave him this terrifying vision of this war. He gives us a very specific date of when he receives this vision. It is the 24th day of the first month. This is important because it is the first month of Nisan. This is when Israel would have been celebrating Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This is right in the middle of when Israel is celebrating how God had delivered them from Egypt. And now, God is giving Daniel this vision in this moment of celebration that is terrifying. Daniel also describes the location of where he receives this vision in verses 5 and 6. He says that he's standing by the bank of the great Tigris River, which is about 38 kilometers from the capital city of Babylon. Daniel has traveled far, and he is here in this place. And as Daniel lifts up his eyes, it's very likely that he's looking across that river he sees a majestic, glorious figure. He sees a man clothed in linen with a gold belt around his waist. His body looks like crystallite, glowing, radiant light of golden gemstones. His face is like lightning. 
His eyes are flaming torches. His arms and legs were like polished brass. And the sound of his voice was the roaring of a multitude of people. Like being in a stadium when your team scores a goal and that eruption happens, that is the sound of this glorious figure that Daniel sees. This is a Christophany. This is a moment in the Old Testament when Jesus Christ appears. This is the second time that this has happened in the book of Daniel. The first time was in Daniel chapter 7 verses 13 and 14. When the ancient of days, when God himself gives the kingdoms of the world to the Son of Man. This Son of Man is this Jesus Christ, our Savior. And again, we see this glorious, radiant figure in the Old Testament, Jesus Christ, the second member of the Trinity, in flesh, with Daniel being able to see him through this vision. If you would like, you can go to Revelations chapter 1. And you'll see that in part of the vision that God gives to the Apostle John, this same identical description of the Son of Man who would come to defeat the dragon, the Antichrist. This is no other than Jesus Christ himself. This is a display of Jesus' great glory and a demonstration of God's sufficient power. And yet in light of this, Daniel shows us the contrast with himself in light of being able to see this majestic, radiant figure. He can't handle it. His body is overwhelmed. He can't take it. He hears the sound of this glorious figure speaking and it is the roaring of a multitude. Daniel is trembling. At what is happening and guess what happens. Daniel isn't alone. If you look at the text. He's with a group of men. That group of men cannot see this radiant glorious figure. But they hear the voice of the figure. And they are so frightened and trembling so much that when they hear the voice of this multitude of a one voice that is coming through this glorious figure, which is Jesus Christ, they run away and hide. And Daniel is left all alone. He is by himself. He is so overwhelmed by what he's seeing standing across from this glorious figure that he is drained of all of his physical strength. And the Bible says that he falls flat on his face and he goes to sleep. He says, my, 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 my appearance changed from being radiant and full of life to now being fearful and having dread. It's as if all of his life is sucked right out of him. He has nothing left. And so he falls to his face and he goes to sleep. God is showing Daniel how powerful and sufficient he is in comparison to how weak Daniel is. Though Israel will suffer, and though this is a very difficult vision for Daniel to receive, God is already showing him that he is sufficient. And that will da what Daniel will have to remember is that God is more than enough to strengthen him and to strengthen his people as they view the future and what will come. Yet here's one of the things that we learn throughout the book of Daniel. God is sufficient in his time. But typically God is not efficient. God is sufficient, but God is rarely efficient. I don't know if you feel this way, but today, we're all about being efficient. 
We all try to do as much as we can in a little bit amount of time as we can so that we can free up more time to do more things. We call that being efficient. We try to do 10 things at once and do none of them well. And we say this is uh, being efficient. You see, Daniel, he's excited that the people have gone back to Jerusalem and began to rebuild the temple. He's excited because he knows that they will not just rebuild the temple, but that they will rebuild their own lives. They will rebuild their own homes. They will begin to rebuild the city itself. They will begin to build the protective wall that goes around the city of Jerusalem. And this makes Daniel so excited. And yet God tells him now that he has other plans. And this is typically the way it is in our lives. We want to save as much time as possible so that we can do the things that we want. We want solutions, not problems. Right? We want to figure things out as quickly as possible so that we can move on to the next thing. We use time and circumstances in our own favor for our own benefit so that we can jam more things into the free time that we have. Yet, if you haven't yet, you're going to realize that God doesn't act efficiently according to our standards. He acts instead sovereignly, according to his will, according to his purposes. And for some reason, I have learned in my own life that his timing is much, much slower than my timing. How about you? God rarely meets my timeline. Like we saw last week in Daniel chapter 9, God is in control of all of time. You see, God is never in a rush. We are, but not God. He allows things to come into our lives, and he will even allow them to linger. You see, God isn't about making your life efficient. He is about making us be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And guess what? That takes time. So God is, God is sufficient. He has everything that we need. And yet, He's not efficient. He does not work or function on our timetable when we want and how we want. And this is one of the things that Daniel has to wrestle with in that sort of way. So we've seen that Daniel has to wrestle through prayer, that in his prayer God is sufficient by showing him this incredible, glorious figure. And now the rest of chapter 10 is God encouraging Daniel through an angel. So we call these the touches of encouragement. The rest of the chapter starting in verse 10 involves an angel touching Daniel three different times. And each time it's meant to encourage him and to show him that God is efficient, that God is sufficient to give him the strength that he needs and that God is wanting to teach him about spiritual warfare. In verses 10 to 14, the angel touches Daniel to give him understanding about the interpretation of the vision that is coming in verse 11, which Roger will cover. In verses 15 to 17, the angel touches Daniel's lips to give him his speech back. And finally, in verses 18 to 21, the angel touches Daniel, giving him physical strength again. So looking at the first set of verses here, verses 10 to 14, a touch of understanding. Daniel finally wakes up from his sleep. And he wakes up because an angel touches his shoulder. And when Daniel sees that it is an angel that has touched his shoulder, the text says that his hands and knees begin to tremble. I think that maybe the majority of us would be in this same position. Just let's be honest. If we were sleeping and woke up and saw an angel, we probably would have our knees buckling and our hands shaking too. The angel speaks to Daniel in verses 11 and 12. Many believe that this angel is 
the angel Gabriel. Because it's the angel Gabriel that appeared to him in, verse, in chapter 9, and that it's likely the angel Gabriel here again in chapter 10. The truth is, we do not know who this angel is that is assisting here in chapter 10. What we do know is that the angel makes its mission very clear. It was sent by God to encourage Daniel and to give him the answer to his prayer. The angel, Daniel says, was in the likeness of the children of man. This angel appears in a human form that Daniel is beholding. The angel tells Daniel that he is greatly loved. The same way that Gabriel in chapter 9, when he was communicating with Daniel, told Daniel that he was greatly loved. We see God once again affirming his relationship with Daniel and the deep affection that God has for Daniel. The angel wants Daniel to understand what he's going to say. And so the angel asks Daniel to stand to his feet. Now, for someone who has shaking knees and shaking hands, this would have been no easy task. But somehow Daniel gets to his feet and he's still trembling. The angel tells Daniel, listen, you don't have to be afraid because God has heard your prayers and he's brought you the answer. This vision that you have that Daniel has received, it's a result of his praying and fasting. And Daniel had purposed in his heart to set apart these three weeks to understand God. And he humbles himself before God by praying and fasting. And now God has brought him the answer that he needs. And this angel is the proof of that. Yet what do we see in verses 13 and 14? The angel encountered interference on its way to Daniel. How many of you guys drive on the highway and know what it feels like to find interference? Traffic. And you, you hope to arrive somewhere at one time and that timetable goes out the window because there was an accident on the road and next thing you know, 45 minutes passed and you're late. This angel faces interference. Look closely at the text, verses 13 and 14. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood the angel for 21 days. How long has Daniel been committed to praying? Three. What? How long has the angel in How long has this... Prince impeded the angel from coming to Daniel? 21 days, which equals? This prince that the angel is talking about here is a fallen angel. It's a demon who's intercepted this angel that God has sent. And it is fighting, waging war against it. This happens for the whole time of 21 days. The demon prevents the angel from arriving to Daniel with the answer to his prayer. The intention of this demon, it is to prevent God's answer from reaching Daniel. It tries to get in the way of God's purpose and of God's plan. So what does God do? What does the angel say that God does? He sends Michael, one of the chief princes, a high-ranking angel to come and help this angel defeat this gang of demons. We'll see shortly why. We learn um, in the New Testament, in the book of Jude, if you wanted to look there in verse 9, that this angel, this angelic figure Michael, he is an archangel, a superior, more powerful angel that has to come and assist this angel in winning this spiritual battle that has been waged against it. This angel that God has initially sent was fighting, look closely there, the kings of Persia. 
It's in the plural. This is a group of demons that have come and ganged up against this angel to stop it from coming to Daniel with the answer that God has sent. So what happens? God has to send the archangel Michael. He commissions him to come and to defeat this army of demons. It's interesting. What has Daniel been doing for these three weeks? He has been praying and fasting. Daniel's prayers are caught up in this spiritual warfare. Right? It's because Daniel has prayed that God has sent the answer. But yet the demons are trying to prevent the answer from coming to Daniel. But Daniel has been praying each and every single one of these days. His prayers are actually involved in this spiritual warfare that is happening. We see this clearly in the text. This is a team effort. Daniel, the angel, and Michael, the archangel, against this horde of demons that are trying to prevent God's answer from reaching Daniel. We see this fight in the invisible world, which is not seen in the physical world, but which impacts the physical world. Did you understand that? This is a spiritual war that is unseen in the physical world, but which impacts the physical world. So prayer plays a significant role in the invisible spiritual battles that take place because demons and Satan himself would want to do everything in their power to prevent God's will from being done. So when we pray, we need to be conscious that we are fighting and contending these battles, which are not battles of the flesh or of blood, but these are battles which are against evil spiritual forces. And we cannot deny this reality of this spiritual world. Are you with me? We cannot deny this reality. Paul makes this clear to us in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. He is talking about the need for believers to be clothed with the armor of God. And he begins by saying this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to what? To withstand in the evil day and have done so to stand firm. Now look at verse 18, just a little bit lower in that same passage. Praying at all times in the Spirit. With all prayers and supplications, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all of the saints. You see, Paul joins prayer as part of the spiritual battle in order for us to defeat the spiritual forces that are actively at war, waging against God's plan from coming to pass in our lives. Are you with me? Now, who is Daniel praying to? Come on, who? Do you see Daniel addressing these spiritual forces? No. So let me just bring some clarity because today you have people who are praying over the demons of Europe and the demons over the continent of North America and of Africa. I'm not joking or making this stuff up. I've seen these clips on the internet. And rebuking them and trying to tear them down. That is not what Daniel is doing here, is he? Daniel is praying to the all-powerful God who is in control of the invisible spiritual war that is happening. Our prayers can influence and shape and impact that spiritual war. But we are no way addressing those spiritual evil forces, are we? We are addressing our God who is sufficient and powerful enough to defeat every demonic activity. And this angel is telling Daniel this. Listen, it took me a little longer to get here than expected. 
Why? Because I got caught up by the prince of Persia who was trying to prevent me from coming to you. I want you to understand that as we pray to God on behalf of others, we are waging war against the spiritual, the spiritual forces of evil. It's a war for the souls of people that are far from God. It's a war where the enemy wants to weaken believers and their faith. It's a war where the enemy will try to prevent God's plan and purposes from being accomplished. In verse 14, the angel finally tells Daniel more specifically what the vision is about. He tells him, listen, Daniel, this, this vision is about the end of days. It's about days that are to come in the future. The idea is this is eschatological. You know what that means? It's about end times. It's about a war that will happen at the end of the world. As, we, as, as, as God's history moves and as it approaches and develops over time. That's the kind of vision that this is. I want to say this about spiritual warfare. As followers of Jesus, we can be tempted to exaggerate spiritual warfare and see demons everywhere. In our children's cereal, in cartoon shows. I grew up in a church where there were people who came to me and showed me clips of how Disney had subliminal messages and subliminal, subliminal images in all of their Disney movies. I'm not really crazy in terms of where Disney finds itself today. Because if you have seen the news, maybe you have heard that in Florida, they have stood up and made some decisions that I don't agree with. But let me tell you, I don't believe that Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse are dressed up demons. We're fighting for the souls of our children. We know people who, when we were growing up in our church, who threw out their whole collections of VHS tapes of Disney movies because of these supposed subliminal messages that existed. I don't believe that. I do know that the world is in darkness. I know that it's far from God. I understand that. I don't think that if you get a flat tire, that it was a demon. I think it's more likely that you probably ran over a nail and it punctured your tire. I don't believe that if you're home and your dishwasher is running and it breaks, that it was the demon of the dishwasher that came and destroyed your dishwasher so that you could be out a few hundred dollars. Are you with me? Okay, I'm not sure what your faith background is and, and some of the things maybe that you've heard or not heard or if this is all new to you. So I don't think that we should exaggerate. We see demons under every rock. And so we go around trying to lift every rock to try to figure out if it's the demon of this or that that's out there. Unfortunately, though, the reality is it's much more common for believers to be completely ignorant about demonic activity in our world today. Most believers live their lives as if the devil and demons don't exist. Yet it is clear from our text here today that demons have limited power. That there's actually a power structure. The devil and his demons have power. And we cannot live oblivious to this reality. They will try to do everything in their limited power to thwart, destroy, and prevent the will and the plan of God in our lives. We can't just pretend like spiritual warfare is not happening in the heavenly places because it is. This is what the angel is telling Daniel. So Daniel is touched to have understanding about the vision. In verses 15 to 17, Daniel is touched by the angel again to now be able to talk, a touch of speech. Daniel has another physical reaction once again once the angel finishes speaking. He turns his face to the ground, and now he's mute. No words can come out of his mouth 
Daniel is again unable to physically handle this supernatural encounter. He's overwhelmed and he loses his voice. He's speechless. He can't even respond back to the angel. Daniel describes the angel in verse 16. Once the angel touches him and his voice comes back. How many of you guys are hot in here? Okay, just okay. Most of you are okay. I am getting really hot in here. Just so you know, we're trying to get this place as cool as possible for you. It is not no demon that is preventing the cold air from coming in. Just so you know. It's just probably that the AC is not maxed. Once the angel touches Daniel, Daniel speaks to the angel and he addresses the angel as my Lord. He shows this, this respect and honor to this angel who has touched him. Why? Because he, he's exhausted. Not only is he exhausted, he tells the angel, I'm full of pain in my body. You, you guys read that? He says, I'm full of I'm pain. I, I'm experiencing physical anguish as a result of the vision that I've seen of this glorious figure. Everything in me hurts. I am completely drained of all human strength. How does the angel expect Daniel to answer? He has nothing left. Daniel even says, I can barely move. I can barely breathe. That's how much conflict he's experiencing within his body. He has nothing left. He can physically bear no more. Have you ever experienced prayer in this manner? Where it was exhausting? Where you were giving so much of yourself, laying all of your life down, where when you finished praying, you felt like you were hit by like a Mack truck. This is how Daniel's praying. He has given so much of himself on behalf of others for God to be working in this life. And now he has this understanding and perception that he's actually doing spiritual warfare in the spiritual realm. And that it's, it's costing him everything physically. He's complaining. He's, he's completely pouring out all of himself for the benefit of his people. Do you pray like that? Do I pray like that for you? Do I cry out to God on your behalf? Sometimes I wonder, you know, if you come here to Centerview Church and you keep coming um, and we don't see you, I follow up with people. And sometimes I'm always caught in this tension if people think I'm their babysitter of where they were that past Sunday. But you, you know why we follow up with people? Because we deeply care. And we want to make sure that within that week maybe nothing's happened. Because we want to support and be there for individuals. Because sometimes there's no other way of knowing where people are at or what they're going through unless you follow up with them. But do you know why? Because as I'm praying for people, I deeply care. And we want to see God working in your life. And we believe that when we come and we gather together around the Word of God, that it is the Word of God through the Spirit of God that changes and transforms us. So the best place that you could be every single Sunday when you're not on vacation is here. And so when you're not here, we try to figure out where you were. And if you're like, hey, pastor, we were away. We got stuff to do. Good. God bless you. We hope to see you soon. But we do that genuinely. Why? Because we want to be in a place where, we, where we're gathered together, where God is working in our midst. And so we need to wrestle with one another. There's a young man right now that we're praying for in our church, and he's in this spiritual battle. Where I am feeling the weight of the work that God started in him. And how that seems to be just washing away. And he's saying, God, please, please don't let this young man be lost. Please do something. Intervene. What is it? Like, I told this young man, I'm, I'm going I'm to be on you all the time. Because I don't want to see him lost. My question is, do you and I pray for people like that? To the point where you are just pouring out your heart to God because of what you want to see him do in other people's lives. We need to pray and wrestle that way. We need to give God our best. We need to give God all of our strength, not our leftovers. Isn't it unfortunate sometimes that that's what our prayers are like? We give God just what we have left? This is why it's a great 
practice. Everyone is different. Some people are night owls. They like to stay up super late and they feel most energized. But this is one of the reasons why it's really great to get up early in the morning and pray. Because you have an opportunity to give God your best, not what's left over. Daniel's giving God his best. I want to encourage you to do your, the same last point. Daniel was touched to have understanding. Daniel was touched by the angel to have speech. And now Daniel is touched having his body physically restored. It's a touch of strength. Verses 18 to 21. Daniel again describes this angel as being in the appearance of a man. And this angel, he says, if you were to read verses 18 and 19, he says, you gave me strength. You gave me strength. You gave me strength. As Daniel has been committed to praying for God's people, God cares for Daniel. Let me say that again. As Daniel is committed to praying for God's people, God takes care of Daniel. You want God to take care of you and to give you what you need and to give you all the strength you need each and every day? Commit to praying for other people around you. Commit to praying for your church. Commit to praying for your pastor because I really, 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 really need it. It's incredible what happens when we pour out ourselves for others. God has a way of taking care of us. And this is what we see God doing for Daniel. He strengthens him three times through this angel. See, in the same way that God is sufficiently sustaining Daniel, he's teaching Daniel that he will also sufficiently sustain the people of Judah when the battle comes. God is basically telling Daniel, you see what I'm doing for you? I'm going to do the same thing for my people. Because in the same way that you're beloved, and he says that again in the text, Daniel's beloved, so are the rest of the people of Judah. So Daniel now has this experience that shapes how he can pray for his people in knowing that in the same way that God strengthens him, God will strengthen his people even as they're back home and as they're experiencing conflict and oppression and they're afraid to rebuild, God will give them what they need in his time. So what does the angel tell Daniel here at the end? He tells him three things. Three commands. He tells Daniel, fear not. Do not be afraid, Daniel. Second thing he says, peace be with you. Daniel, listen, you don't have to be afraid. You can be at peace and you can find rest in the fact of knowing that you are God's beloved. And knowing that God is affectionate over you, that he deeply loves you, you don't have to worry. You can relax. You don't have to be anxious. You don't have to worry over anything. And third, and I love this part, because we went through, because we, we, this was our theme verse last year. He says, be strong and of good courage. Or, be strong and courageous. Be strong. Who strengthened Daniel? The angel. Look, I gave you the strength that you need, but now, Daniel, you have to do your part. You have to be courageous. You got to continue praying. Listen, we don't know why Daniel didn't go back with the people of Judah. That's one of the questions that we ask in these last three chapters. Why didn't Daniel go back? Why didn't he join his people? There's two thoughts of maybe why. First, he was in his old age. It's likely by this time that Daniel is in his mid-80s. It might have been extremely difficult for him to travel back to Judah. Another reason that comes up at times is that many believe that Daniel still had a royal position in the Persian Empire. We see this. Right? King Darius gives him position. So, so, so we know that he still had a high-ranking position. But even though Daniel doesn't go back to be with his people in Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, what is Daniel doing? He is standing in the gap for his people. And he's praying for his people. Amen? And God is strengthening him because of his determination to do so. So now, it's as the angel strengthens Daniel that now Daniel is being prepared 
to receive the interpretation that the angel will give. One of the things that becomes clear from our text is that when men meet God, they are left marked. How does Daniel respond when he sees that glorious figure? He falls flat on his face and he falls asleep. What happens when Daniel is touched by the angel that God sends to give him the answer? He's trembling and shaking. It amazes me sometimes. It baffles me sometimes when I hear people speak and they say that they heard from God or God spoke to them. They seem the most calm people in the world. Because in the Bible, when God touches people and when God marks people, guess what happens to them? They're terrified. So then in verse 20, the angel actually asks Daniel a rhetorical question. Do you know why I've come to you? Well, of course Daniel knows why he's come to him because the angels already told him in verses 12 and 14 why he came. He came to encourage Daniel and he came to bring the answer from God to him. So why is he saying this? Because he wants Daniel to have a bit more understanding of the spiritual battle that is happening. So we get a few more details. The angel wants Daniel to know that the spiritual warfare between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness is real and it is ongoing. The angel will return to continue fighting against the demon over Persia. And once it's done fighting over the demon of Persia, he's going to begin fighting over the demon of Greece. Talking about the, the four kingdoms that are to come. First was the Babylonian kingdom, correct? Then it was the Medo-Persian kingdom. This one right now where Daniel is in the midst of. And then there would be the Greek kingdom that would come. And then the Roman Empire would come. And there seems to be this hierarchy of demons over nations and governments that we learn here in the text. And not only do we learn that, we see that there are these, un, these evil forces of un, in the unseen world that they're working again to prevent God's plan. And then in verse 21, the angel begins to interpret the vision to Daniel, telling him that he is going to share with him what is inscribed in the book of truth. The angel is specifically speaking about the decree that God has sent to Daniel, the answer, the interpretation to this vision that he had. This vision is true, which God is going to give starting in, verse, in chapter 11. So hear with me. This is a way to get Daniel to pay attention. To Daniel, he's the, 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 the angel is saying, listen, I'm going to tell you what's inscribed in the book. Daniel, pay attention. Here is what the interpretation of the vision means. It's important that we understand this. That when we get to the end of verse 21 in this chapter, there isn't a clear break with the following chapter 11. Are you with me? You'll notice when we pick up in a few weeks that it, it just runs right into chapter 11 and the, 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 the angel begins to interpret it for Daniel. Actually, the angel is in the middle of his interpretation. If you remember at the beginning of the introduction, I said that this is one unit, right? One section of this last vision. Roger will cover that on August the 21st, and then I will finish up the following week. And what does the angel say? Well, he, he almost makes it clear that Michael is this archangel. He is the prince of the people of Israel, right? He says here at the end, right? But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, what? Your prince. It seems like this archangel Michael is over the people of God. And he is the one who is responsible and powerful enough to battle alongside this angel to defeat any demon that will rise up against it. So I know that maybe some of this can be a little bit hard to understand and explain. So I I, we have a slide here just to try to make a few things clear for you today about what spiritual warfare is and what prayer is. Some of the takeaways that we take from this text. First, angels and demons are real. We've already seen throughout the book of Daniel that they are real. They exist. There is this fight between good and evil. Second, angels and demons engage in spiritual combat against one another. There is this spiritual war in the unseen world that is happening. Third, certain angels and demons 
are assigned over geographical areas and nations. The angel was fighting against the kings of Persia. They were assigned over them bringing evil into the, Roman, into the Persian Empire to accomplish evil desires. We saw just right now at the end of verse 21 that Michael the archangel was Israel's protector and prince. Our prayers influence and enter into this spiritual battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. This spiritual battle was happening while Daniel was praying. When you and I pray, guess what's happening? The spiritual battle. This should encourage us and should motivate us to pray. What do we learn about prayer in this chapter? God immediately hears our prayers. Remember what the angel said? God heard you right at the beginning of your prayer, Daniel, and I came. Right? Daniel, you prayed for three weeks. I was delayed 21 days. When you prayed, immediately at that moment you prayed, God heard your prayer. When we pray, God hears us immediately. Amen? That should encourage us. Demonic activity can delay the answer to our prayers. For Daniel, that delay lasted 21 days. As followers of God, we inevitably get caught up in this spiritual conflict. And if you don't see what you want to see come to accomplish in your life as you pray to God, what do you do? Continue to pray. You don't give up because you know that this spiritual war is happening. Demonic forces are constantly at work to prevent God's purposes. We see that. Not only was this happening with the Persian Empire, but the angel tells Daniel that it was going to continue under the Greek Empire. That there are these spiritual forces that are at work. The last two things. Prayer can be exhausting. But do it anyway. Daniel was completely drained of his strength because he was praying. Listen, prayer is hard work. Finally, please stand. God strengthens us through prayer. God strengthens us through prayer. See, Daniel was praying and he was fasting. And he was doing that on behalf of God's people. Because of them going back, receiving now this opposition which halted the, the work. Daniel was in a fuss. Because he wanted to see God's plans and purposes moving forward, Daniel begins to pray and fast. God sends the answer through an angel. But yet, there was interference by demons. As Daniel is praying, his prayers are influencing this spiritual battle that happens. And yet, what is the vision that Daniel receives? Of this glorious figure radiating with shining light who when he speaks, it is the sound of a thousand voices. It is God, Christ Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, who is more than sufficient in order to give Daniel all that he needs. He strengthens, he strengthens Daniel with understanding. He strengthens Daniel with his speech. And he strengthens Daniel with physical strength. And he will do the same with his people in his time. Let us pray. God, we are so deeply thankful today because you reveal to us today that you are the God of all strength. You are the God of all strength. That though we acknowledge and though we understand that we even participate in this spiritual battle that is happening in the unseen world in the heavenly places, you are sufficient. And you are powerful 
to bring your answer and in your time. And even though your answers, God, may be delayed, you will bring about victory in your time by commissioning and commanding your angels to bring forth your will and your purposes because we know in the end no one, nothing, not Satan and not his demons will be able to thwart or stop the plan and the will of God. So Lord, we pray that you would give us great strength to be men and women who are committed to praying, understanding that our prayers participate with you in this spiritual battle against evil and that we would pray to see your will come about not only in our lives but in the lives of others and that we would pray and work hard on behalf of those who are far and distant from you and those who are suffering and those who need you to be at work in their lives and need you to intervene and to touch. God, we pray that we would be the kind of men and women who would be committed to giving ourselves and wasting ourselves, Lord God, on behalf of other people, knowing that as we do, you will strengthen us. Lord God, help us respond today as we worship you. Amen. Let's worship God together.